are listening to Bible Study Wednesday, August the 7th in the year of our Lord, 2019. And we are going to be taking a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Wednesdays, we encourage congregations maybe to meet together, particularly if they don't have a pastor on Wednesday morning, listen to us for about a half hour, and then talk about it after we go off the air. Second Corinthians chapter 5. When we talk about the church, the church has a specific ministry, and Second Corinthians chapter 5 really helps us to understand the ministry because it is the very opposite that is found in every other religion in the world outside of Christianity. So without further ado, we're taking a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. So we are always of good courage, Paul writes to the Corinthians, We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Lord has ascended into heaven. He's prepared a place for us, and we are not yet there until the day of judgment. So, in a sense, when we are at home in the body, which means we're still here on earth living, we are away from the Lord Differently than, of course, the disciples were not away from the Lord because Jesus walked among them. Now, we do need to remember where two or three are gathered, the Lord is in the midst of us. So we're not away from the Lord spiritually, but physically we're away from the Lord. And verse 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. What does that mean? Because if you walk by sight, you're going to make decisions as to whether the Lord is on your side by your experience. And that is what every other religion in the world does, but not Christianity. So if you have a field of crops and it's a great harvest, you go to the conclusion that the Lord is pleased with you. But if hail comes and destroys your crops, then you think, what did I do to deserve this? That's living by sight. What we need to understand is whether good things are happening to you from your point of view or bad things, the Lord still is keeping his promises and he is not dealing karma to you. Karma means you get what you deserve because If you get what you deserve, then all of us would be going to hell. And the fact that we're not is what Christianity is teaching. So, verse 8 goes on. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Well, that's because of all the suffering that goes on here on earth. Obviously, being away from the body would mean that we've died, the body is in the ground, and our spirit is with Jesus. Verse 9, so whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please him. 
Now, this next verse is really misunderstood. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, doesn't that mean that works are what going to get you to heaven or send you to hell? That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? So we have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Is there a place in the Scripture where sinful human beings are pleasing to the Lord because of their works? And there certainly are many places. We're going to look or talk about Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. The sheep, remember, are commended by the Lord. Now, why are they commended by the Lord? Because they're sinful, are they not? Well, yes, they're sinful individuals. But what does the Lord say to them in this particular parable? He looks at the sheep And when he says, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now, the sheep who are the righteous ones, they respond to the Lord saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? Or when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the Lord answers them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, this is a distinction in the Bible. Theology is the art of making distinctions. Where God is not looking at the good works that you and I do, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. What is the difference? A good work is simply anything that you do outwardly in obedience to the commands of God, but you always do them out of self-interest. You stop at the stop sign because you see a policeman. That's out of self-interest. The Christian will stop at a stop sign because he's motivated by the Holy Spirit to obey the law. That's the big difference between the two. And Christians are often unaware of all the fruit of the Holy Spirit that they are accomplishing from God's point of view. That's what this is really saying, that therefore, on the day of judgment, each one will receive what is due, what he, we, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And the good or evil is referring the evil to sin and the good, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you do one fruit of the Holy Spirit, you're on your way to heaven. Why? Because only believers have the Holy Spirit. So, what kind of ministry does the church have? Going on with verse 11. Therefore, 
Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. What does that mean? Why are we persuading them about the fear of the Lord? Because we are to fear the Lord since he has the ability not to save us, to send us to hell for our sins. And we have a message, though, that counters that fear to the Lord. And that's what we are to persuade others about. Going on. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. You see, how many times have you been at a funeral and the people there at the wake are saying, well, we know this person must be saved because he was such a good man. See, that's boasting about outward appearance, not about what is in the heart. What's the difference? Outward appearance can do good works out of self-interest, and nobody knows you're doing it out of self-interest. But a proper good work, God knows because he knows what is in the heart. God reads the heart to see if there is faith in Jesus Christ. And if there is that faith, then we are pleasing to God in our fruit of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, we're in 2 Corinthians 5. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If, it we, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. Now, what that means is, what does it mean to be beside ourselves? What we're talking about here is that there were many people who thought the apostles were out of their minds. And therefore, they were considered to be foolish for Christ. Remember at Pentecost, they thought they were drunk when they were talking in different languages. But no, it may be that we look crazy to other peoples, but it is for God that we are saying these things. Because we are saying them in our right mind for you. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous to talk about that God put his only begotten son to death in order that you might be saved. That seems unfair. That seems unjust. And so we sound foolish when we say that. But we are in our right mind because we are speaking it for you. And what's our motivation? Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is spoken of in greater length in Romans, whereas in one man, Adam, we fell into sin, so also by one man, Jesus Christ, 
We've died for that sin so that we might live no longer for ourselves, but for Jesus, who for our sake died and was raised. Therefore, verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean? We don't make a decision about whether they are a believer or an unbeliever on the basis of what we see, because we're not living by sight. We live by faith. I mean, I don't know of any Christian who doesn't sin. So if you're going to look only at their outward works, you'll be looking at them according to the flesh. Even though it goes on, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now, you, you see that throughout the life of Christ, that many people did not recognize him as the Son of God or the Messiah, but as a great healer. In fact, the Sunday School lesson we did yesterday on issues, etc., the healing of Jairus' daughter. Jairus comes to Jesus. He says, my daughter is near death. Please come and heal her. So Jesus goes with him, and he stops to help a woman with an issue of blood. And then they find out that the daughter has died. And what do the people say? Stop bothering Jesus because she has died. You see, they regarded him according to the flesh. They did not regard him as the Messiah, as the Son of God. He had done a lot of good healing, but raising somebody from the dead? Oh, boy. But with faith, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In fact, that's really what the purpose of Christianity is, is to return you to the status of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden prior to their fall into sin. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What's the old? What's the new? Well, under the old covenant, you got right with God by obeying all the commandments. But under the new covenant, you are right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a total difference. The old has passed away, but the new has come, and all this is from God. Now, here we begin understanding the ministry of the church. From God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's probably the most important verse in this section of 2 Corinthians 5. Because it's talking about the necessity of being reconciled to God. But it's also clear that nobody can do that. How do you get reconciled to somebody? You've done something wrong. Maybe they heard you say something about them that they didn't appreciate, and now they don't want to talk to you. You normally get reconciled to them by going to them, saying, yes, I did say that, but it was in the heat of anger, and I repent of that, and I ask for your forgiveness. Notice how repentance in the world is our action that moves to reconciliation. But 
This is not Christianity. We have a ministry of reconciliation, and we don't get people to be reconciled to God by telling them to improve their behavior. Because here's the message. It's the next verse, 19, 2 Corinthians 5. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. How did that happen? We didn't do anything. How did Christ reconcile the world to God? Well, it goes on. Not counting their trespasses against them. Why would he not count against us our trespasses? In fact, I've said this a lot of times, that the gift of the forgiveness of sins means that God no longer holds us accountable for our sins. How is he able to do that? When there has been no change in us, we still remain sinners. Because Jesus Christ reconciled the world to God by taking upon himself your sins. And when he died for your sins, you are now reconciled to God because God no longer recognizes you as a sinner who trusts in Jesus for your salvation. And the end of verse 19, he entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. It's like two people are not reconciled. And then you find out from the one person who was hurt that they no longer hold any mistrust towards you. And so you become the messenger and say, you know, you did something wrong to Jim. And at first you would think that he wouldn't like you. But he sent me to tell you that he has now reconciled to you. He forgives you. And therefore he wants to be your friend again. Now, this becomes the ministry of the church. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Wow. That's the message of the Christian church. That because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, God is now reconciled to you. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. So much that he gave his only begotten son for you. And he now makes us his ambassadors. Uh, another synonym for that, he's made us his messengers to the world, making his appeal to sinful human beings that he is reconciled to you. You see, every other religion in the world, their goal is to get people to be, to get God to be reconciled to them. And they do that by telling the people what they need to do. You need to worship. You need to give offerings. You need to be obedient. They give you all kinds of rules. And that's how you get God to be reconciled to you. But Christianity says, forget it. There's no way you can do anything to get God to be reconciled to you because he has already 
reconciled to you because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. If sin is what separates human beings from God, Jesus died for that sin. Therefore, what's the message of the church? We don't implore people to become more obedient so that God can be reconciled to them. The problem is not God. The problem is us. Listen to the end of verse 20. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, it's just the very opposite. Every other religion implores you to be obedient or worshipful or something so that God changes his mind and he's reconciled to you. Well, that mind was already changed by Christ on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. So the task of the church isn't to get you to do something so God is reconciled to you. The task of the church is to give you the message that God is already reconciled to you. You need to be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, if you have the righteousness of God, then God is reconciled to you because what kept him from being reconciled to you was your sin. But he has now given you the robe of righteousness of Christ. Well, then how come everybody doesn't go to heaven? If everybody is reconciled, I mean, if God is reconciled to everyone, how come some people still don't go to heaven? Because it is necessary for you to be reconciled to God. But that doesn't come about by works. It comes about through faith. What is that faith? Well, that's clearly taught in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Remember, he put his son Jesus to death. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then listen to verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, this is really critical. God is reconciled to everybody in the world, but it's now needful for us to be reconciled to him. But we don't get reconciled to him by doing good works. We get reconciled to him through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have that faith, It is not something that you conjured up. It is a gift from God.
so that God does everything in saving you. He, first of all, is reconciled to you because Jesus Christ took upon himself your sin. So you are no longer held accountable for that sin. And you get reconciled to God and receive the righteousness of God through believing the promises of the gospel. And that's the task of the church. The task of the church is to be the messengers of that good news so then that the Holy Spirit may create faith. Now, people still can reject that and refuse to be reconciled to God, and therefore they are not saved. But that's why the task of the church is the ministry of reconciliation. I'm Tom Baker. That's our Bible study. Next week, we're going to continue with Hebrews 11 as a Bible study, the act of faith. And tomorrow on Rumination Thursday, Law and Gospel, have you heard the news of the suits against the Boy Scouts because of their activity with children? We're going to be talking about that tomorrow on Law and Gospel. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.